0: In fact, there's so much more that we can do than most people realize, and that's what Indistractable is all about. And it's not just about technology addiction. The fact is, many Americans turn on the TV first thing in the morning, or the radio first thing in the morning, or there's all kinds of potential distractions out there, uh, or the news, right? How many of us read the news because we think, oh, the news is good for us. I need to be an informed citizen. Bullshit. It's most of the stuff that you read is a big, fat waste of your time and mindshare. So the idea is, how do we look at our life? and say, what's serving us versus what are we serving? I am not a proponent of one technology or the other. I'm not saying go use Facebook, quite the opposite. If it's not serving you, if it's something you don't wanna do in your life, if it's harming you, I'm gonna show you how to put it in its place.
1: How would you like to speak to thousands of people in your pajamas without leaving your bedroom? Here's the thing. You need to be getting on podcasts yesterday. Why? Because podcasts are hot. Over 73 million Americans listen to podcasts and that number is growing every month. That's insane. Here's the problem. There are currently over half a million podcasts and finding the right ones is like finding a needle in a haystack. Podcast booking agencies charge thousands of dollars to book you on shows and they usually just spam podcasters like me. Hosts like myself get pitched all the time and we don't have time to research every potential guest. In fact, I turned down 95% of pitches and this is why I created Podbooker. Podbooker Podbooker.com is the first platform where guests can easily pitch hosts and hosts can find great guests. It's like a podcast dating site. Use our simple search algorithm to find the perfect hosts in seconds, increase your acceptance rates with our bio templates, video pitches, and powerful profile pages, easily communicate and follow up with hosts with a few clicks, keep a record of all the podcasts you've been featured on, learn how to become a rockstar guest with our academy tutorials featuring award-winning podcast hosts, and much, much more. So what are you waiting for? Head over to podbooker.com.
0: Welcome to the Can I Pick Your Brain podcast,
1: where successful entrepreneurs get their brains picked so you can apply mindset tricks and game-changing tactics that will help
0: you become
1: unstoppable.
0: Now, here's
1: your host, Daniel Geffen. Hey, fellow brain pickers, and welcome to episode 160 of Can I Pick Your Brain. How frustrating is it when you set yourself tasks to do for the day, but find yourself constantly being distracted? social media notifications, scrolling through Facebook, checking email obsessively, binging on Netflix. Well, my guest today has written the book that will help you gain back control of your attention and ultimately choose the way you want to live your life. Nir Ayal worked in the video gaming and advertising industry, where he learned and applied the techniques used to motivate and manipulate users. Today he is the author of Hooked and Indistractable, helping companies create behaviors that benefit their users while educating people on how to build healthful habits in their own lives. Prepare to get hooked as Nir shares how to hack back your attention, why productivity tactics and detox methods are not enough, how to master both internal and external triggers, the four steps to gaining control of your time, the time boxing method, and much, much more. So without further ado, here's the indistractable Nir Eyal.
0: Hey Nir, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me, Daniel. It's great to be here.
1: Oh my goodness, I'm so excited to have you on. I've uh, I've got a copy of your book called Hooked, um, How to Build Habit-Forming Products, which is really intriguing, um, and your second book, which is coming out, Indistractable, How to Control Your Attention and Choose Your Life. Now, what's really interesting, there, is I'm thinking to myself, did you just like? basically create the cure for the you know for the infection is that like you created the infection by writing the first book and then you created the cure for the infection
0: I wish I was that smart that I could have uh, figured this all out that way. But un- unfortunately, I didn't build Facebook and I didn't build Instagram or YouTube mm-hmm. or WhatsApp or Slack or any of those companies. What, what I did was uh, democratize those techniques. So mm-hmm. Hooked isn't about how to addict people. The title has nothing to do with addiction. The title is how to build habit-forming products. And habits can be very good for us. So what I wanted to do is to help people who are building all kinds of products out there. Build the kind of products that people actually want to use, right? Mm. What if we could get in shape like Fitbod helps people do by using the hook model? What if we could make education engaging like Kahoot does using the hook model? What mm. if we could help bring previously unbanked people online uh, as, as Paga does? Who uses the hook model? So mm-hmm. those are my clients: fitness apps, healthcare companies, uh, uh, banking, personal financial services. Those are my clients. I, I don't mm-hmm. work with any company that requires addiction. That, that's my ethical line. So I will You're not saying work Facebook, with
1: Facebook. You would not work with Facebook if they hired you today.
0: Well, I, I never have worked uh, for Facebook. Uh, I, I you know Whether Facebook is, is qualifies as a company that requires addiction, I don't think they do, actually. Really? Uh, oh. No, they do require addicts. Wow. Because, look, the fact is, uh, when you think about what kind of businesses require what's called a whale, so casinos, for example, they don't care if you go to Vegas on your bachelor or bachelorette party. They could care less. Mm-hmm. Vegas makes money on the addicts. They make money on the locals who are in those chairs gambling on the – primarily machine gambling machines all mm-hmm. day and all night. right? Yeah. And they, they call it until exhaustion, until they've spent all their money. Yeah. Um, that's where they make their money. And those are the kind of companies I won't work with. Facebook actually, for the tiny, tiny p- amount of people – we're talking single-digit digit percentages of people who do actually have a pathology uh, – You know, Facebook would do just fine without that small percentage of people who are actually addicted. Now, the problem is most of us whine and boo-hoo and say we're addicted when we're not. We do not have a pathology. We do not have a real addiction. We like to use it a lot, and we get distracted by it, and so that's who I wrote Indistractable for. I wrote it for myself because I have this problem, or at least I used to, and I wrote it for the folks who uh, are hurting themselves by thinking they have an addiction, or that it's hijacking our brain, or that big bad tech companies are doing this stuff to us. Because you know what? It's not true, and it's not helpful. It actually makes it true, when you believe it's true. It's called learned helplessness. Mm -hmm. And so that's really what I'm trying to fight.
1: Right. But the first line in your introduction to the book, Hooked, 79% of smartphone owners check their device within 15 minutes of waking up every morning. Right? Mm -hmm. And... I'm going to read the next line because it's hilarious. But perhaps more startling, fully one third of Americans say they would rather give up sex than lose their cell phones. I yeah. can't believe that. That's that's nuts. <laughs> Wait, and, and 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 you're telling me that that's not addiction?
0: If, well, if, <laughs> well, well it's, no, it's not. It's not an addiction. It's it's perhaps okay. an unhealthy habit. Uh, but for the vast majority of people, it's not addiction. Why isn't it addiction? Yeah, because. Lots of things can be addictive and not addict everyone, right? Many of us have a glass of wine with dinner. We have sex. We're not alcoholics and sex addicts. So it's not that just because somebody something can addict someone doesn't mean it addicts everyone. Now why people use their devices so much, you know, fifteen minutes with, uh, within 15 minutes of waking up in the morning, for example, <laughs> yeah. is because they've been habituated, sometimes good habits, sometimes bad habits, to these behaviors. And so the fact is this stuff is not going away right? We can shake our fists at technology all day long. Uh, We can't, we don't have a time machine to take us back before these things exist. We need these things, right? Like Mm -hmm. for your podcast to succeed, you have to tell people about it in every channel that you possibly can. So the idea is, you know, we're not going to get rid of this stuff. The idea is how do we live with it in a way that benefits us? And uh, thinking that it's addictive, that there's nothing we can do about it is not helpful because it's Mm -hmm. not true. In fact, there's so much more that we can do than most people realize, and that's what Indistractable is all about. And it's not just about technology addiction. The fact is you know, many Americans turn on TV first thing in the morning or the radio first thing in the morning, or there's all kinds of potential distractions out there. Uh, Or the news, right? How many of us read the news because we think, oh, the news is good for us. I need to be an informed citizen. Bullshit. It's most of the (laughs) stuff that you read is a big, fat waste of your time and mindshare. So the idea is how do we look at our life? And say, what's serving us versus what are we serving? I am not a proponent of one technology or the other. I'm not saying go use Facebook. Quite the opposite. If it's not serving you, if it's something you don't want to do in your life, if it's harming you, I'm going to show you how to put it in its place.
1: I love that. So talk t- talk to me more about that. So how would you go about doing that? So someone who is I'll give an example. I I was one of those people that I woke up in the morning and the mm-hmm. first thing I did um you know was was switch on that phone. And it was also the last thing I did when I was when I went to bed. I would literally go to bed <laughs> and let's say I was in bed midnight. I would end up falling asleep at 1 in the morning because I was literally just scrolling 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 it was, it was ridiculous. So right. what I did was I I now made a rule this was about 3 months ago and I haven't broken it since is I don't bring my phone into the room into the bedroom. So it's it's a no go for the for the mobile phone. Is that would is that one of the things that you talk about in the book or are you talking about tactics or is it does it go deeper than that?
0: So, so there are a lot of tactics in the book, and one of them is, is very similar to what you did. I, I call it uh, hack back the external triggers. So these devices, as I wrote about in Hooked, uh, these products are designed to hack your attention. But there's no reason we can't hack back. And so part of the (laughs) the solution, exactly, hacking back. And so part (laughs) of the solution is what you did, right? It's removing the external trigger. The external triggers are the pings, dings, rings, all of these things that prompt you to action. And if that buzz of your phone was causing you to lose sleep, uh, and that's not something you wanted to do. That's not something you wanted to do with intent. Then you took action and you removed it from the bedroom. I think that's fantastic. I, in my bedroom, we do not sleep next to our cell phones. I think that's a big mistake. We mm-hmm. do not have televisions in any of our, our bedrooms, my child's bedroom as well. No, no television in there as well because those triggers don't serve us. But that's, while that's a good step and that's one single solitary tactic, mm-hmm. none of these tactics on their own are actually effective for very long we need to go beyond the tactics tactics are what you do strategy is why you do it and so every other book that has been written about this topic and I, I you know i don't i don't particularly like writing books it's really hard work it takes years it took yeah. me 5 years to write indistractable it's really hard i only write a book when i can't find the answer i'm looking for hmm. and so when i tried to figure out the answer to how do we put distraction in its place what well, you know it's such an interesting question if you think about it why don't we do what we say we're going to do? Yeah. Right? When it also, I know you're, you're, you're very much into self-help and personal development. The mm-hmm. fact is we all pretty much know what to do, right? We know how right. to get healthy. We, we know that a chocolate cake is not as healthy as a salad. We know mm-hmm. that, that if you want to uh, have better relationships, be fully present with people you love. We know if you want to do really well at work, do the damn work. We know this mm-hmm. stuff. Why don't we do it? And so the self-help industry and the personal development industry is all about telling you what to do. But nobody else has talked about why you don't do the things you know you should do. And that's what distraction is all about. And that's what, mm. why we need this new model that we can fit in these four key strategies that we can use to become indistractable. Mm-hmm. And so those f- four strategies, so for example, removing the external trigger as you did is step number three. You still got to do the other steps as well. <laughs> and if you don't, you actually will find that many times they, these techniques backfire unless you deal with the most important steps first.
1: What are those two steps?
0: So the first step is to master internal triggers. So one of the the revelations I had in this book is that distraction most of the time starts from within. That, you know, we like to blame the stuff outside of us, and that certainly does lead to distraction. These are the external triggers that we talked about earlier, the pings, dings, rings, all of these things that can prompt you to distraction – Mm-hmm. But what's much more common are these internal triggers. So when we ask ourselves, why do we get distracted? We have to start from first principles. Well, let's keep, let's keep going. Let's keep, you know, go a little deeper. Why do we do anything? Why do we do anything? Where does motivation come from? M- we used to think, and most people still think today, I used to think this before I wrote Indistractable, that motivation is the desire to pursue pleasure and avoid pain. Right. And it turns out, this is called Freud's pleasure principle, turns out, neurologically speaking, it's not true. It's not true. That in fact, everything we do, all motivation, is spurred by the desire to escape discomfort. It's pain all the way down. It's called the homeostatic response, right? We know this physiologically. When we uh, feel uncomfortable, we change our states. We do something. We act. So, for example- So, when you
1: eat a chocolate cake, you're not avoiding uh-huh. pain. You're going for pleasure.
0: No. In fact, you are avoiding pain. Why? What pain are you avoiding? You're avoiding the desire, the craving, the wanting of that chocolate cake. You see? Even the pursuit of pleasure is, in fact, a desire to avoid discomfort. There's a reason we say love hurts. Because neurologically speaking, the brain creates this state, uh, this uh, homeostatic state that we have to put back into balance – by doing something. So when you're hungry, that feels bad, you eat. When you're stuffed, oh, I'm too stuffed, that feels bad, you stop eating. Uh, If you're cold, you put on a coat. If it's hot, you take it off. So physiologically, we know this stuff to be true, whether it's, you know, avoiding these uncomfortable sensations or even wanting something pleasurable, the very act of wanting and craving is uncomfortable. And so what that means is if all human behavior is prompted by a desire to escape discomfort, even the pursuit of pleasure is, its in fact, uncomfortable, then that means that time management is pain management. Mm, that if we are not doing what we say we want to do, the only reason why is because we feel some kind of discomfort we are escaping in an unhealthy manner. So there's only two solutions. The solutions are either to change the source of the problem or to learn methods to cope with that discomfort in a healthier way. And so that's where I talk about these various techniques. So we can either change the problem, the source of the discomfort, there's a whole section in the book about how to how to uh, create an indistractable workplace. Because it turns out for most people, most of their day is spent at work and the workplace is this hotbed of internal triggers, of these uncomfortable emotional states, stress, anxiety, fatigue, uncertainty. These things feel bad And when people feel bad, they do something to stop that discomfort. What do we do? We send emails when we should be working on a big project. We check Slack channels when we should be thinking and focusing and and concentrating. Slack? What's Uh, up?
1: No, no, I said WhatsApp, you check your WhatsApp. WhatsApp. Exactly, exactly,
0: (laughs) WhatsApp. Right, so all of these, so when we understand this fundamental truth that, wait a minute, this is why we do these behaviors, it's why we do all behaviors, we can do something about the internal triggers. So there's a good chunk of the book that's devoted to either teaching folks how to fix the source of the problem, depending on where the problem lies, or, you know, many things in life we can't fix, right? These uncomfortable sensations are just part of being a human being. Mm-hmm. And so for those uncomfortable states, we need methods to learn to cope with that discomfort. And so there's a, a good chunk of the book that describes these various techniques that we can use to do that.
1: So let me give you an example that I think uh, people relate to. Um, uh, you know, you switch on your laptop in the morning and you want to start working, but you just—what uh, do I begin? Where do I start? I don't want to do it. You know, so you, you put on YouTube and you uh, put on a, a motivational video. You're like, oh, I need a, I need some motivation, and you watch this motivational video, and you get all mm-hmm. pumped up, and the music gets you, and like, oh, it's brilliant but then once it stops you feel that that emptiness and that fear and that overwhelm and now you're even more overwhelmed because like oh my god how am i going to get you know to this person's like level and and you end up just not doing anything right and mm-hmm, just mm-hmm. the whole day goes by and just um what's going on there
0: yeah so look you know, getting distracted from time to tr- time is inevitable. But we have to start with what is the definition of distraction, right? What do we mean when we say we got distracted? Mm-hmm. So if you if you fall into this YouTube uh, content vortex once, okay, mm-hmm. that that happens, right? If you keep if it keeps happening and you can't do anything about it because you don't know what to do, then it's a problem. Now we got to look for a solution. So let's start mm-hmm. by defining what is distraction. To understand what is distraction, we have to know what the opposite of distraction is. The opposite of distraction Attraction. Is, is what? Attraction. Or Close. Traction. 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 Exactly, traction. Right. Traction is any action. You notice that both words, traction and distraction, end in the same word. They both end in action. By the way, they both come from the same Latin root, trahare, which means to pull. <laughs> so traction is any action that pulls you towards what you want in life. The opposite of traction is distraction. Any action that you take that pulls you away from what you really want, from what you plan to do, from whatever it is you plan to do with intent. Now, I am not one of these uh, holier-than-thou tech critics that says, oh, it's melting your brain, and it's super bad for you, and everybody run for the hills. By the way, this has happened every single generation. Every generation says, oh, it's video games, it's television, it's the mm. the novel, the radio, literally all the way back to Socrates saying the written word was going to enfeeble men's minds. Every new technology is going to melt our brains, and it never does. We adapt and we adopt. So, you know, I'm not one of these people that says, do this, don't do that, right? Facebook is evil and video games are evil, but you know, somehow watching a soccer game on TV is somehow you know, morally more sanctimonious. I think that's <laughs> not true. Right. It's all a pastime, and there's nothing wrong with it. Pastimes are great if you do them with intent. So the difference between traction and distraction is intent. Is it what you planned to do? And there's absolutely nothing wrong with watching some YouTube videos on your schedule, not on the app makers. So the second step, we talked about how the first step is about mastering internal triggers. The second step is to make time for traction. Now. When, you know, it took me five years to write this book because I tried all kinds of techniques and I worked with hundreds of of people trying different techniques. Many of them didn't work, so I didn't put them in the book. I only included the techniques that are backed by science. This isn't, you know, oh, it worked for Nier, so it's going to work for you. (laughs) No, no, no. I looked for good, solid research, decades-old stuff that's been verified in peer-reviewed journals to make sure that this stuff is science-backed. And one of the best things you can do – I mean, literally hundreds of studies have verified this – is use this technique called setting an implementation intention. Just a fancy way of saying, planning out what you're going to do and when you're going to do it. One of the most effective things you can do. But here's the problem. The vast majority of people out there, two-thirds of people, do not keep a calendar. Really? Yes. Two-thirds of people keep no calendar. Of those that do keep a calendar, most of them – overwhelming majority, use it very sparsely. You know, a dentist appointment here or, you know, don't forget to make that phone call there. But I I tell folks that you cannot call something a distraction. You can't shake your fist at Facebook or YouTube or whoever. You cannot call something a distraction unless you know what it distracted you from. So if you don't plan your day, we are at a point in time when technology is so good, these companies mm-hmm. understand what makes you click and what makes you tick better than you understand yourself, and if you don't plan your day, they're going to get you. I know. I wrote the book about how they hook you. Right. So the antidote <laughs> to that, the it's not hopeless, the antidote to impulsiveness is forethought. By mm. simply planning ahead, you are more powerful than their algorithms and their artificial intelligence or whatever they throw at you if you plan ahead that is what makes human beings such an amazing species why we're so much stronger than any other uh, animal in the animal kingdom is that we can see a future so you can plan ahead
1: i wrote a to-do list yesterday okay i had about six items on the to-do list this is what i want to get done by the end of today Mm -hmm. i got through about three And the next thing I know, I'm pulled in this way and that way like a puppet and it gets, it's so frustrating, right?
0: Me too, brother, me too. I (laughs) Let me ask you something. Let me ask you something. Did you put time for everything that you wanted to do in your calendar?
1: That seems too rigid to me. Too
0: bad, buddy. (laughs) Let me tell you why. I'm being honest. There's this myth of the to-do list that if we put something on a to-do list, it'll magically happen. But right. it's only half of the problem. We know from several studies now have shown that people are terrible at estimating how long a task takes. So what we do – and I used to do this too. I'm right with you. Mm-hmm. I used to put things on a to-do list because that's what the productivity books say to do. And then you know, just try and get through them all. It doesn't work that way. You have to put time on your calendar. Why? Because what you are doing is writing down the output. I would like this to happen. I would like this to happen. I would like this to happen. But you're not putting it – you're not calculating the input. The input for what you do every day is the time it takes you to do that task. That's like saying, you know, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to open up a bakery and I want a million loaves of bread. Well, do you have a machine that makes a, a million loaves of bread? Do you have the ingredients to make a million loaves of bread? No, but I want a million loaves of bread. Well, you haven't accounted for the input. It's a fact of life. You, you're just wishing that these things get done unless you put time for them on your calendar. You have to use this technique I call time boxing, and I'll give you a, a link in the show notes. I built this free tool anybody can use to build a template for their ideal week. And you only do this once, by the way. You do it once. It takes maybe 30 minutes, and then you revise it. And I, I do this every single week. It takes me 15 minutes to revise it for the week ahead. Now... I know the difference between traction and distraction. Anything that I'm doing that's on my calendar, that's on my schedule, that's traction. Anything that's not that is distraction. So even if I'm checking email, right? Email feels like it's productive. Not if it's what I didn't plan to do with my time, right? If I plan to work on a big project, if I plan to be with my family, it's a distraction. And that's the only way to know the difference.
1: And the time boxing is, is that done in your calendar so it sits in your let's say, Google Calendar, whatever you're using?
0: Yeah, so one of the, the, the reason this technique is so powerful, and if you look at, at, at uh, high power people anywhere, any mm-hmm. C-level executive, almost without fail, I mean, this is something 99% of the time that I see with every high power person I know, they are carrying around a sheet of paper with their day constantly. They don't even, they're not even necessarily using their phones. They have a piece of paper that they're carrying around on some kind of clipboard or notepad or something that tells them where they're supposed to be every minute of the day. We should take notes from that. We should do that too. So you can either have a piece of paper. So that's this tool that I created online that I'll give you a, a link to in the show notes, uh, where you can just make this template free and, and keep it by the side of your, uh, you know, on the side of your desk so you know where you're supposed to be. If you want to keep it in your Google Calendar, that's fine. Whatever, whatever format works for you. The, the point is to have a template for what your day looks like. It doesn't mean you'll never fall off track, but it means for the first time you'll be able to account for where you got distracted. And then, do something about it using the indistractable model I talk about.
1: It's basically working against Parkinson's law. Pretty much. That,
0: that work expands to fill the time you make for it. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So that's one. That's certainly one principle that we you know. That freedom. Uh, you know, there's this great uh, quote by Kierkegaard who said that uh, anxiety. Uh, is the feeling of having too much freedom. I just butchered that quote. I didn't say it exactly so right. But true, the idea the was way. that anxiety so is what is created when we have too much freedom. Yes, uh, and, and that's exactly true. You know, as an author, the worst thing is a blank page. For an artist, <laughs> the hardest thing is an is a, a empty canvas. We mm. need these constraints to help us do our best work.
1: Yeah, it's like when I go shopping. Oh, my God. uh, It's the worst. My wife hates when I go shopping because when when she goes shopping, she goes in, she gets the stuff and she's out and finished. I I go in and I'm like, you know, an hour later, what the hell? I'm sniffing the shampoos. I'm like, well, should I get this one or should I get that one? And I can't choose because I... How do you stop this? I mean, it's craziness. So you stop. I think to myself after, what am I doing? Why do I waste right. so much time?
0: Right, constraints. Um, that just, constraints just. make us better, and it makes it makes things into almost a game, right? Almost a sandbox. Uh, whereas if we have all this freedom in our day, oh, I got so much time. You know, you've been through this before. Yes. Those days when you have so much time, that's when you get the least done. <laughs> yes, <laughs> right? yeah, and, I, I, and I get that
1: a lot because the thing yep. is, near here's a, here's a thing. I got really good at outsourcing uh, a number of, a few years ago. I I, I basically, my first company I started, I, I outsourced. I started outsourcing tasks. And eventually what ended up happening was I outsourced everything. So I had nothing mm-hmm. to do. Like there was nothing yeah. left. Right. <laughs> and so, and I got, and the truth is it's because I'm lazy. Like by nature, I'm a lazy person. So I don't want to do something. I'm like my oldest son. He, I'm like, Alicia, you know, clean up the room. And he's like, Gabriel go clean up. no i didn't ask you to tell gabriel to do it i told you i told you to do it right but he's like me i'll just get something else someone else to do it but the problem is 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 exactly what you said i i get anxiety from too much freedom i'm like well, what am i doing right. what do right. i do t- today
0: Yes, yes. And, and, and so the, the solution, I, I know you're saying, oh, it's too rigid. I don't want to. It's not about, you know, I, I have very little self-discipline. People think, oh, you wrote this book on being in- it's distractible. You must have a lot of self-discipline and self-control. Yeah. No, the opposite. That's why I wrote this book is because I'm lazy. Right. <laughs> so the right. antidote to, to this this type of, uh, uh, of, 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 you know, too much freedom in our day is to plan ahead. Uh, and, it's, and again, I'm not telling you what to do. If you want to play video games with your day, do it. That's great. But do it with intent. Do it because that's what you wanted to do with your time, not because of some app maker or some technology or even mm-hmm. your kids or your boss or your significant other. I mean, we can be distracted by all sorts of things. The idea is we want to do the things that we want to do with intent as opposed to you know, constantly being uh, shuffled from one thing to the next because somebody else wants our attention.
1: Okay, so for someone listening to this that's thinking, okay, so you basically gave me the solution. What do I need to read the book for, right? It's just <laughs> everything just needs to be intentional. Everything's intentional, okay, I'm gonna plan everything. What? yeah.
0: so hey you know what if i can help people with this podcast and they take a few tips that's great and if they don't have the 14 bucks to buy the book that's all right (laughs) (laughs) that's fine i don't really care but you know the the the, there's a lot more to it so we talked about Mm -hmm. two steps and we only talked about the strategy we didn't talk about the nuts and bolts of okay well how do you do that right how do you one of the techniques i talk about in the book that's very very important is called schedule syncing that we need to make time uh with the to live out our values that you know we talk about. We talk a good game when you ask somebody, what's most important to you in life? Mm -hmm. Oh, my family. My family is very important to me. Oh, okay. Well, well, where's the time in your schedule to live out that value? Yes. Uh, I don't know. (laughs) Like, it just happens. Well, look, you know, friendship, I think, at least in the States, we have this epidemic of loneliness. Because you know we know that there's decreased attendance of of organized religion, so people don't have time to see members of their community, members of you know uh, their friends. They don't have time to go see them on their schedule. And that's a big problem. It's a big reason why people are feeling so disconnected and lonely these days is because we've we've taken out that regular occasion to see people. So I, I actually talk about in the book this practice that we have called the kibbutz. And the kibbutz <laughs> is this regular gathering of friends. Uh, That we get together, we tell the kids, go in the other room and leave us alone unless somebody's bleeding – so, you know, this is time for adults to have adult friendships. And we want to model that for our kids. Like, what does an adult conversation look like? And we talk about real issues. You know, it's almost like a, like a TED Talk, uh, you know, where, where people bring an issue and then they talk about that issue. Uh, and it's fantastic. But we make time for it on our schedules and we synchronize our schedules so that it's always something that, that we can count on. So we have to synchronize our schedule with our relationships, with our uh, work life, right? With our colleagues, our boss. Mm-hmm. And with ourselves, right? We have to make time to take care of ourselves physically, mentally, to make sure we have time to do the things we want to do. So that's the second big step. Make time for traction.
1: So let's say I want to learn how to do something and I and I go and I want to start gathering information. That's the first thing we do. We do our research, right? Information. Whether it's a YouTube video, whether it's picking up a book, uh, whatever it is, taking a course. How do you know when stop because because information overload is is such a uh, such a problem right we just it just Mm -hmm. just keep going you can keep you can keep reading and you can keep listening you can keep watching when do you when do you know when is the right time to say okay enough let me go and launch this write this produce this do this whatever it is the
0: only the only logical answer is when your time runs out because, because we live when in a you're co- dead. <laughs> no no you when when you decide uh-huh. you know not when god decides you die like, but okay. when you decide your time is up okay. and so that goes back to this technique of time boxing that in this age where it's limitless right there are countless articles to read there are endless youtube videos to watch there are you know an infinite yeah. number of web pages to scroll through you have to decide that parameter of how much of your day is worthy of this time meaning you know this value i think learning self-education is wonderful
1: yeah i mean you hear warren buffett reads what is it how many books I he reads I don't know how much. Um, and yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah. And that's terrific because that's part of their values. That's what they want to do with their time. And I think that's terrific. But look, for somebody else, that's a terrible use of time, <laughs> right? If that's not part right. of their value system, it's not that we should all be like Warren Buffett and do exactly what he wants to do unless right. you have the exact same values of Warren Buffett. <laughs> so the idea is not to say, okay, this is the method. Everybody do the same thing. The, the idea here is to ask yourself, how can you make your values how can you turn your values into time? You know, how much time for you would reflect how much you value the different areas of your life your work life, your family life, your relationships, and the time you spend on improving yourself? Do
1: you get into the emotions behind why we do things? So, for example, you know, watching a motivational video or scrolling through Facebook, it, you know, it could be because you're avoiding doing the work because if you do the work, you're afraid that you're going to fail. And so there's a fear of hmm. of failure. Do you, do you address how to yeah, handle so that, that?
0: That goes back to the, the first step, the mastering internal triggers. So remember, all human behavior is driven by a desire to escape discomfort. Okay. And so we have to face those facts. We have to face the fact that, you know, if, if, if you, as I did, I mean, there was this kind of seminal moment in my life where I found myself using my phone as opposed to being fully present with my daughter. Hmm. And I wish I could tell you it was the phone's fault. But the icky-sticky truth was that I was on my phone because I was escaping something. And Mm. if I didn't learn either the source of that discomfort and fix it or learn healthier Techniques to or healthier ways to manage that discomfort, I'd keep doing it, and so that's why these you know digital detoxes and digital minimalism and thirty day programs they don't work, hmm. because for the same reason that fad diets don't work, right? So I used to be clinically obese at one point, really? and I would go on these fad diets, right? Thirty days, no fast food, but guess what happened on day thirty one, right? <laughs> I make it to lost time, yeah, because I didn't deal with the real reason I was eating. I wasn't eating because I was hungry. Mm-hmm. Nobody who's overweight has a weight problem because they're hungry a lot. They're hungry emotionally, right? Mostly I was eating obese. food to escape discomfort, right? I, because I felt bad. And what was the solution to feeling bad? Eating more. And that's exactly what happens with any sort of distraction. We get into this cycle of looking to escape pain by using a device, by using a, a, a food, by using work, by using whatever it is that we spend too much time on. And then because we feel guilty and bad about that, we go back to it to make us feel better. <laughs> and so yeah. that's this terrible cycle that we need to break out of. And so that's what I show people exactly how to do.
1: You know, what's interesting is last night um, I, was, I was doing some work. It was late at night, but I, I work American hours and I'm, I'm based here in Israel. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know the little voice in my head says, "Come on, Daniel, you're hungry, and it's time to watch a little bit of Netflix. You know, time to just relax. The kids are all in bed. It's been a long day. Um, just watch some Netflix and, and make some pasta and just enjoy yourself." It's like, ah, you know, it's like the animal. Yeah. In yeah. It. But but I've got to get this this work done. There's like more work to do. So right. I made a deal with my. I guess my horse. I called him my horse because it's like mm-hmm. I'm imagining that you know we, we're riding a horse and the horse wants to, the horse doesn't want to move. It just just wants to sit and eat, and watch Netflix. So I said to the horse, I said, well, myself, I said, you know, look, I'll tell you what, make a deal. Let's do thirty more minutes of work, and mm-hmm. then you can watch Netflix, and then you can have your food and you can enjoy. Yeah. And I, did, and I and then we. I did thirty minutes, and then at thirty minutes, I still felt like you know what, I can go a little bit longer. I said okay, yeah. we'll just do another 30 minutes. And I did it. We did an hour of extra work and then I sat down and I binged on that, you know, on that <laughs> on that, you know, food and whatever and I and I and I enjoyed the Netflix and that was it. And yeah. is that is that part of what, you know, how to break out of the sort of the procrastination and that so that, not that's to do a things.
0: technique. There's what So there's the, so that we talked about the first two techniques: how to make time for. Oh, sorry. How to master internal triggers. How to make time for traction. The third step is to hack back external triggers. So this is where we make sure that we don't have all these external triggers, you know, the pings, dings, rings, all these things that prompt us to do something we would later regret, something that is a distraction. And I talk about in the book how to remove those from your phone, from your computer, but also how to remove them from your environment. Like one of the greatest sources of distraction for people who work in in an office is other people, right? In these open floor plan offices, we're constantly bombarded with distraction by people stopping by our desk and say, hey, you want to talk for a second? I just want to, you know, that's really distracting and we can't reflect if we're constantly reacting. So we have to make time for that and make sure that, that people know that we are uh, doing concentrated work. So actually, in the book, in Indistractable, in the, right in the middle, there's this red piece of cardstock that you can actually tear out and fold into thirds, and you actually place it on your screen to let people know, I'm Indistractable right now. Please come back later. So that's, that's about <laughs> hacking back these external triggers. And there's, you know, there's, there's uh, like I think 10 chapters of all the different places you can hack back all the different external triggers in your life. Finally, the last step, and this gets to, to your point, mm-hmm. the last step is preventing distraction with pacts. Okay. Now, this is something we do last. A lot of people use these techniques I'm about to describe, and they use them first and think, oh, this is going to be the miracle solution to get me to do what I want, and it backfires. Because they haven't done the other three steps first, you have to learn how to master internal triggers, make time for traction, hack back external triggers. Then the last step, step is to make uh, prevent distraction with pacts. And so there are three types of pacts. And PACS, again, is well-researched. It's called a pre-commitment device. Lots of good science. This isn't just something I made up. It's been backed by study after study that shows that this is a very effective technique. And what you're doing is you're entering into some kind of promise with yourself or somebody else. And so there are three types of of pre-commitments. There's what's called an effort pact, a price pact, or an identity pact. An effort pact is when we make the thing we don't want to do a little bit more difficult. So for example, in my house, Every night at 10 p.m., the internet router shuts off automatically. Hmm. That's right? so annoying. <laughs> <laughs> well, that would be
1: so frustrating. <laughs> again,
0: what do you want? Right. Well, what I want – and I'm not telling you you know, what right. your values should be. My values are at 10 p.m., I want to get to bed with my wife. That's my value. I want to be in bed with her. I want to chit-chat with her. Uh, you know, who knows, our sex life used to suffer. Now, not now it's much better. Uh, I want to get sleep. And so those things only happen if I am in bed when I want to be. That might not be your values. Okay. I'm not imposing my values on yours. But if that's something that you value. Well, if my wife listens
1: to values. this episode, you will be. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> good, good.
0: So what did I do? By, by, by getting, so I got a little outlet timer, cost me $5 at Home Depot, right? Uh-huh. It turns off the internet router. Uh, so that you know, I could turn it back on, of course. Yeah, could I could turn it back plug. on, right. I could do it if I wanted to, but I right. it, I put a little bit of effort in yeah. between the thing I don't want to do. So that's an effort pact. And there's many other examples in the book about effort pacts that you can take in your life. The next kind is a price pact, where we have some kind of cost, some kind of monetary uh, disincentive to doing something we don't want to do. And then finally, and perhaps most importantly, is an identity pact. An identity pact is when we pre-commit to a way of seeing ourselves that helps us prevent doing something we don't want to do. So for example, I, I, I think you're, uh, you're an observant Jew, right? Yes, I am. So I'm guessing that for you, eating non-kosher food, like you know, if, if you pass by a, a grocery store that happens to have some bacon or something in it, is that a struggle for you? Do you consider, oh, you know what, I, maybe I do want some bacon right now?
1: No, but Chinese food. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm obsessed with Chinese food. <laughs> but, but, but I agree but with you. Right. It's, it it's is, out of bounds. It's out of bounds.
0: Exactly. Because it's yeah. who you are. You are Jewish, and Jews don't eat non-kosher food. Fri- right. ob- observed Jews don't eat non-kosher food. Right. I used to be, for many years, a vegetarian, and it was no <laughs> big deal. I didn't constantly say, ooh, should I, should I not? No, right. I was a vegetarian. And so what you did in that night where you told yourself, I'm going to go for 30 more minutes, hmm. you, without even knowing it, you entered into a new identity. Now, I think people can get even much farther by declaring that identity, and that's why the book is called what it, it, what it is, Indistractable. So being indistractable, when when we started this interview, we we could see each other over video on Skype and you saw I'm wearing a t-shirt that says indistractable. So I'm reminding myself of who I am, my identity. I'm the kind of person that does what they say they're going to do. I live with personal integrity. That's what being indistractable is all about. Now, it doesn't mean I always succeed. It's Mm -hmm. about the striving. It's about getting better at it. It's about caring about living with intent. And so using an identity is a very, very powerful device to help us stay on track, to help us prevent, mm-hmm. distractions. So I hope people will start using this identity of, oh, you know what? You know why I don't reply to your text messages all the time? Because I'm indistractable. You know why I put up this sign on my computer that says I, I don't want to be bothered when I'm doing focus work? I'm indistractable. Right? All of these techniques that we use, we can now have a moniker and hopefully start this movement yeah. to make sure that we can tell others you know, what we care about.
1: You want to become a verb like Google. Google it. Yeah, <laughs> I like that. <laughs> Big
0: mission. I love it. Yeah. Um,
1: what about? Um, I'll tell you, one of the issues I've found with trying, like, I'll give you an example. I switched off notifications on my phone. Like, that was a huge, huge step. Uh, and I, I probably checked my phone, ugh, I don't even want to know how many times a day before. But now it's much less because there's no pings and things, dings and stuff coming up. But. Mm-hmm. I am. Ge- I had a friend of mine who's probably going to listen to this. Um, I'll give him a shout out, Ellie Shine. How you doing? Um, he he wrote me yesterday a WhatsApp message saying, "Are you okay? Like you haven't responded to any of my my messages, right? How do you, um, I guess, deal with people who are used to you responding instantly or picking up the phone or?" people at work who want to just schmooze, right? Like, hey, so how you doing? It's like, uh, sorry, dude, I'm into I've read this book and now I'm like, yeah, not in, you know, can't, can't talk to you now.
0: Yeah. How do you? Yeah. Wh- so you use it. Okay. So some, one of the studies I cite in the book is fascinating about, you know, you know how every religion,
1: mm-hmm.
0: every major religion, I should say, has an element of, of proselytizing, right? I know, I you know, even Judaism, religious Jews want, non-observant Jews to come back and be observant, right? So every yeah. religion, you know, Christianity, they want more converts. Islam no, wants when to con- are you, when more. When people. are you
1: doing it? Come on, come on. <laughs> <laughs> That's
0: what I mean. Here's the point. <laughs> Why do we do that? Why does every religion have that as, as you know, this, this mm-hmm. core commandment in so many religions? Well, yeah. we think it's about, well, we need more members of the flock. We need more people to convert.
1: Yeah.
0: I argue it's not actually about that. What it's really about psychologically... Is solidifying the practice of the person who is doing the proselytizing. So when we, there's a joke that says, "How do you know someone's a vegetarian? Don't worry, they'll tell you." <laughs> and you can, you can you can substitute anything you want, right? Whether it's uh, CrossFit or uh, vegan or you know, yeah. born again Christian, whatever it is. Don't worry, they'll tell you. Right. The reason they're telling you is because it cements my identity if I preach to you. So part of the solution is actually saying, you know what, I'm indistractable. Let me tell you about this. Let me tell you about why my, why my life is so much better now that I do what I say I'm going to do. It's called being indistractable. Here's how it works, right? So that's part of it. Now, we don't have to you know, bang people over the head with it. We can say, hey, check out the book or something and, and, and show, them, you know, j- show them the way, but that's a big part of it. Now, um, uh, part of it as well is understanding that we do operate in these contexts, right? It's, I can teach you how to be indistractable, but if you work in an environment where people are constantly distracting you, uh, your boss is calling you at you know 9 p.m. every night to discuss something you know that really should wait till tomorrow morning. Uh, then my techniques are not very good mm-hmm. because the problem is bigger than you. And so there's a whole section in the book about why distraction at work is a symptom of cultural dysfunction. That I profile several companies that don't have a problem with workplace distraction because they have a healthy workplace culture, and I tell you how you, even if you're not a manager, how you can make changes at your company to prevent this sort of distraction. So it's, it, it really is also about, you know, first and foremost, doing things for yourself to help yourself become indistractable. It's also about changing your work environment so that so that others can benefit from this process and so that you can remove the source of so many of these internal triggers that prompt us to distraction.
1: And if you're not essentially in control because you're an employee of the company, you can't make the rules, um, how would you handle that?
0: Yeah, so it's it's there's a few ways to do that. Uh, it starts by understanding the root source of the problem. Uh, there's actually been some fascinating research that I uncovered around what kind of work environment is known to actually create anxiety and depression disorder, not just be correlated, but actually a causal relationship with anxiety and depression disorder, the kind of work environments that literally make us crazy. And that type of work environment is where you have a confluence of two two symptoms. They are work environments where you have high expectations and low control. If you work in an environment that has that kind of situation, that's bad news. And so what happens is that kind of work environment literally creates the stress, anxiety, uncertainty, the, 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 the type that leads to depression, anxiety disorder, that drives so much of this distraction. Because, again, what do people do when they feel bad? They look for relief. So they look for anything that controls that uncertainty. So it's really about starting a conversation right? It's really about small groups. I talk about a few companies. One of them is BCG, where I actually used to work uh, at Boston Consulting Group. It's one of the leading uh, strategy consulting firms in the world. And I worked there before they institute a lot of these changes. But I talk about this massive change that they've made at the company of having small groups discuss this problem of too much tech, too much distraction. Hmm. And what these studies found was that when people started talking about this problem, they learned that the real problem wasn't what they thought. It wasn't the email or the, the phones or Slack channels or whatever. It was the fact that they weren't talking about their problems. And when they started talking about their problems, just like a, an unhealthy family versus a healthy family, when people can talk about issues without fear of being fired, they can solve those problems. And they came up with their own unique solution to those problems. So in the book, I talk about how to start – these small group conversations. Even if you're not the boss, you're not a manager, that's fine. You can still start these conversations because, look, the fact is nobody likes the status quo. Even the big boss, they don't like being interrupted at 10 p.m. when they're you know, about to go <laughs> to sleep or when they're watching their kids uh, you know, play at a basketball game or something. They, right. they also want time to disconnect. So if people can't talk about the problem, that's when it gets out of control but when we talk about it we reveal that there's that actually technology overuse is just the canary in the coal mine it's a symptom hmm. of a larger discussion uh, of a larger dysfunction
1: this is so crucial for for i think for teenagers and 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 adolescents it, i mean you just see what's going on i mean my, my kids have we're very strict at home so we we limit the time that they're allowed to use devices um, <laughs> but literally after my son, like when he comes home, first of all, the first thing is he goes straight to the device. And I'm making a rule in my house, like, no, you've got to do something productive before you go to the device. And also when he finishes on the device, he's like, I'm bored. What do I do now? Right. Mm. Mm-hmm. A- and, and this is this is a huge issue uh, mm. with, with kids and teenagers on Instagram and, and just, it, yeah, you know, it's.
0: I'm. I'm glad you mentioned it. You're. You're gonna love the section on how to raise indistractable kids.
1: Um, Yeah. I have have a
0: ten-year-old, and uh, this was a. This was a. a big problem for us because you know, look. Some of her first words were iPad time. iPad time. (laughs) She's saying iPad time. I think her first (laughs) word was Daddy or Abba, and then the next words were uh, iPad time.
1: Oh gosh.
0: It was. It was pretty bad at one point. (laughs) Yeah. What I learned writing this book is that I hate to tell you this. You know, father to father, it ain't the tech.
1: Oh boy, here we go. You
0: want to play the tech. It ain't the tech. Uh, I don't want to. I know we're running out of time here. Yeah, we are. We
1: got a few, yeah three minutes.
0: This section on how to raise undistractable kids, because it turns out what kids are missing are what's called psychological nutrients. You know, we need for the body, we need mm-hmm. fat, protein, and carbohydrates. Yeah. It turns out that psychologically, kids as well as adults, they need the sense of mastery autonomy, and competence, this comes from self-determination theory, this is 40-year-old research, it's been around a very long time, the fact is kids aren't getting those things in the real world, and they are looking for them online, and of course the companies are happy to provide it to them, Mm -hmm. but if we give our kids these psychological nutrients, they don't look for them elsewhere, and that's really the source of the problem.
1: Wow. Okay. Well, I need to grab a hold of that book. Um, I think that'll be the first chapter I read. Um, And uh, for all of you guys listening, got to grab a copy of Distraction. I think you could pre-order it, right? It's not out yet.
0: Right. So it it comes out, uh, depends where you are in the world. In the United States, it'll be out September 10th. In uh, the the rest of the English-speaking world, it'll be out in October. It'll also be in, uh, I think we've got 15 languages coming out in different timelines. Uh, But if you go to indistractable.com, indistractable.com, there's actually all kinds of bonus content there. There are tools that you can use. If you are listening to this before the publication date, you can actually, if if you live in North America, you can actually get the entire book before the publication date as long as you pre-order it somewhere else. Mm -hmm. And uh, I'll actually email you the entire PDF complimentary. Mm -hmm. Um, So yeah, that's the place to go, indistractable.com.
1: Okay, and that will be in the show notes. So uh, go to danielgeffen.com. Look for the last episode, the latest episode, and uh, you'll get the uh, link there to com. Highly, highly recommend to pre-order the book uh, and get all the goodies that comes along with it. Nir, thank you so much. This has been really, really um incredibly productive for me personally and I'm sure for many, many people listening. Um, you are really dealing with an, an issue that's is, that's a very serious issue. It's an, it's an epidemic right now and I, I uh, commend you for what you're doing and uh, thank you so much for letting me pick your brain and uh, thank you to all my fellow brain pickers. I'm looking forward to the day when I'll be picking your brain. <music>